0: looking deeply into each other. They seemed to communicate in a wordless language. There was a a moment of silence. Then Pam turned to Troy, looking more composed. She said, I think Bullet is telling me I am not ready to go. I have more to do. Welcome to the Dogwings Podcast with stories from Squire Rushnell, featuring Rescued by Ruby, the Netflix original motion picture. This limited series podcast is brought to you by Godwink Brands. Visit dogwings.com for more information. Now, here's the Godwink guy, Squire Rushnell. Every creature is divinely aligned with others mysteriously, auspiciously, often unknowingly. And only later can we see the invisible threads that have connected us, causing us to be exactly where we were supposed to be to fulfill our destiny. This is the true story of two women and a dog, Pam and Anne, whose lives were woven together by a golden retriever named April 2001, Bellport Animal Hospital, Bellport, New York, Long Island. Good boy, said Dr. Lawrence Cangro, gently stroking the head of Bullet, a favorite patient for 13 years. Will he be okay, asked Pam, anxiously choking back tears. The vet paused and gently replied, I'm afraid I don't have good news. First, I don't like the sound of his heart. Second, Bullet's enzyme level is elevated, an indication of cancer of the liver, which golden retrievers are prone to get. Pam rapidly drew in a breath and squeezed the arm of her husband, Troy. I need to check the ultrasound results. May I leave you and Bullet for a few minutes? The doctor looked kindly at both of them, said he wouldn't be long and left the room. Pam Sica, 40 years old, was holding back tears. She had somehow fooled herself into thinking this day would never come. She had always told people, bullet is my child, my shadow. I see into his soul. He sees into mine. But now she was gazing into the eyes of her best friend forever. He was motionless barely capable of staying awake, laying on a cold, stainless steel table at the veterinarian's office. With her lower lip quivering, Pam leaned in face to face with Bullet, her brown eyes locking with his, speaking in a secret language they'd spoken so many times before, communicating how much they loved each other. Bullet wants to show his love for Pam by kissing her right on the face and nuzzling her neck just the way he had done since that first day in the puppy pen. The moment he saw her, a deep instinct said, She's mine. Nobody else's. And he ran right past all the other puppies to get to her. Bullet, she whispered, You know I've loved you, right from that first day I saw you. I called to the other puppy, the one I'd picked out earlier, but he wouldn't come to me. Instead, you bounded over, looked me right in the eyes, like now, as if to say, hey, pick me, take me home. I know that I didn't pick you. You picked me. Doctor Cangro returned. Pam stood up and clung to Troy. The doctor took a breath and then calmly spoke in measured tones. The ultrasound clearly shows that Bullet has a cancerous tumor on his liver. He said. But we are catching this early. There is a chance we can save Bullet but I want you to think about it overnight. Pam squinched up her face to keep from crying. The doctor continued. The first thing to consider is Bullet's age. He's getting up there. The average retriever lives 11 to 12 years old. He's already beyond that. Pam let out a small crying sound. Second, it's expensive. There was a pause. Troy felt it was his responsibility to ask. Do you have a ballpark, doctor? About $5,000. Dr. Kangro reiterated, "Why don't you think about it? Sleep on it. Call me tomorrow." Not wanting to leave Bullet behind, Pam realized she had no choice. She leaned over and kissed him on the head. "Rest well, Bullet." I'll see you tomorrow. Troy rubbed Bullet's neck. Bullet tries. He can't even lift his head. He doesn't understand Pam's words, but he can feel her heart. She and Troy are wrestling with something that is making them very, very sad, and that makes him sad, too. At this moment, though, he doesn't have the energy to even keep his eyes open. Troy, feeling a lump the size of a golf ball in his throat, wraps his arms around Pam and leads her out of the office. Grasping at small blessings, he couldn't imagine how his dear wife could have handled this on her own. He was an air traffic controller, and this happened to be his day off. As he opened her door to the car, Pam looked up at him with begging eyes, and whispered, Troy, how can we possibly afford it? As they drove from the animal hospital, Pam let out the tears that she had been holding deep inside all that time. Later, the same day, Orlando, Florida... Ann Givens, a 28-year-old reporter with the Orlando Sentinel, was excitedly tapping her fingers on the steering wheel of her little red Honda Civic. She was calling her fiancé, Rafer Guzman, a staff reporter at the Wall Street Journal. But he didn't seem to be picking up. Hi, Rafer finally answered, sounding a little out of breath. Anne flashed a warm smile, her hazel eyes lighting up a sweet face, framed with shoulder-length brown hair. "'Where have you been?' she chided him chokingly. "'Sorry, I couldn't take your call earlier. I was in a meeting with my editor. "'Did you get it?' asked Rafer eagerly. She paused for suspense. "'Yes,' she said with a giggle in her voice. "'Really?' You are now talking to the next cub reporter to take on the world from the pages of Newsday, your eye on L.I. (laughs) She laughed at herself as she quoted the Long Island newspaper slogans. That's amazing. When do you start? In four weeks? That's the best news I've heard all day. I can't wait to see you. Bellport, New York. Pam and Troy lived in an L-shaped ranch house on a quiet street of well-kept modest homes located on the south shore of Long Island. Bullet's survival was one of the weightiest decisions of their lives. Pam couldn't stop crying, nor reiterating, He's my child, my shadow. They talked to family members, as Dr. Can Crow had suggested, Pam's mother, her dad and stepmom in Florida, Troy's mom, and others. Everyone knew the special relationship between Pam and Bullet, and conveyed their expressions of sadness, and ever so gently, each one raised the question of prudence spending that kind of money on a dog who, if he survived the surgery, had already exceeded the average lifespan. Exhausted from crying nonstop, Pam said defeatedly, I don't want to think about this anymore tonight, Troy. That's a good idea. You need to get some rest now. Sleep on it. Troy said. At the vet's office in the morning, Pam and Troy asked for a few minutes together with Bullet. Pam placed her forehead against Bullets. Her golden retriever lay motionless on the table. I don't know, Troy. I still don't know. Her voice cracking. He's my baby. Troy placed a hand on her shoulder. He had already told her that he would support anything she wanted to do. Then, as she had so many times in the past, Pam put her face right up close to bullets. He opened his eyes. Looking deeply into each other, they seemed to communicate in a wordless language. There was a a moment of silence, Then Pam turned to Troy, looking more composed. She said, I think Bullet is telling me I am not ready to go. I have more to do. Pam and Troy found the way to borrow the money and told the doctor, please schedule the surgery. A few days later, Dr. Cancrow reported that Bullet came through his surgery with flying colors. He was released 48 hours later. Bullitt walked beside Pam and Troy, a little more slowly than usual, out of the Bellport Animal Hospital. We're going home, Bullitt, said Troy, holding the leash. Dr. Cancrow said you did very, very well. He's very happy. They reached the minivan. Ham leaned down and held Bullet's face with two hands, and only God knows how happy I am. When we get home, we're going to celebrate with a steak. She smiled, tussled his fur as Troy lifted him into the back seat. Bullet liked that word, home, and the other one, steak. Summer 2001, Melville, New York. Newsday, one of metropolitan New York's most respected daily newspapers, is located in Melville about 40 minutes from Brooklyn. The paper covers Long Island news as well as relevant stories about New York City. Anne and Rafer's Brooklyn apartment was conveniently located between their two jobs, Rafer's daily subway commute to Manhattan and Anne's 45-minute drive to Newsday. That left her with the car available for assignments. As a cub reporter, she had a beat covering the news from the Long Island towns, police actions and fires, town hall meetings and occasionally a human interest story about one of the community's characters. Don't expect anyone to hold your hand, one of the editors had told her flatly. Show up with your pad, your pencil, and a map. In other words, don't expect the newspaper to sharpen your pencils or tell you how to get somewhere on the Long Island freeway. You're on your own, so be resourceful. During those early months... Anne grew to respect the many distinguished journalists who worked for Newsday. Despite what the editor said, most would offer kind counsel to their younger colleague. As the summer rolled on, she loved being reunited with Rafer and was enjoying her job. Although the mundane coverage of small-town squabbles and local politics never had the potential of getting her byline anywhere close to the coveted front page. September ninth, 2001, Bellport, New York. "'How old is Bullet now?' asked the neighbor, taking her sunrise walk as Troy and Pam were piling things into the car for their drive to Florida. "'He's 14.' smiled Pam, then tussling Bullet's fur, adding, a little less energy, but still ticking. We'll keep an eye on things while you're away. Say hello to your dad, waved the neighbor as she watched Pam help Bullet into the back seat. Soon the minivan was loaded up and heading down the street. The 36-hour drive to the center of Florida was one they'd done before. Of course they could have gotten deals on flights, but Pam insisted that Bullet accompany them everywhere possible. So leaving him behind or putting him in the baggage hold of an airplane was out of the question. As Troy and Pam drove, they talked about the new boat they'd recently bought. Troy was thrilled, saying the boat glided on water when they took it for a spin a couple of weekends before. It has nice... "'Maneuverability,' he observed as they made their way down the I-95. "'If you say so,' said Pam, "'I still can't figure out why that boat made me seasick. "'That never happened with the old boat.' "'Troy, always one to analyze things, "'thought about why that would happen, then shrugged. "'I don't really know, hun. "'Maybe it wasn't the boat. "'Maybe it was something you ate.' Then, wanting to include Bullet in the conversation from his spot in the back seat, Troy said loudly, What do you think, Bullet? You're always tuned in to your best pal. Bullet doesn't have a comment. He appreciates the thoughtful gesture of including him, but ever since Troy put the window halfway down at the last rest stop, he has been as happy as a dog off the leash to be sitting there letting the fresh air blow through his fur. On Monday evening, Pam and Troy were looking a little more tanned thanks to their first full day at Disney World, ten miles from the Kissimmee home of Pam's dad, Luddy, and her stepmom, Carolyn. Carolyn. Even though Pam was feeling tired, they had an Animal Kingdom visit planned for the next day. In the kitchen, preparing for dinner, Pam caught Carolyn looking at her. "'Are you okay?' her stepmom asked. Pam replied dismissively, "'I'm just a little tired, all that sun. "'Are you feeling sick in any way?' "'No, not really.' The other day, Troy and I were out in his boat. I was feeling a little seasick, but honest. I'm fine now. You've been craving sweets, countered Carolyn, perceptively. Maybe you're pregnant. Ha! After all this time, at 42, Pam had a history of four miscarriages. Following the last one, seven years ago, her doctor had said pregnancy was highly unlikely. She shrugged and told Carolyn, I've stopped thinking about having a baby. After dinner, Carolyn ran out to do some errands. When she returned, Pam and Troy were already in their room. Knocking on the door, she handed Pam a box, a pregnancy test kit. Pam smiled with a twisted mouth and scoffed. You're wasting your time. Time and money, Carolyn. The next morning, Pam was up before sunrise. She went into the bathroom and saw the box sitting there, took the test. Moments later, she was jostling her husband. Troy, Troy, would you like a little souvenir of Florida? He blinked at her questioningly. I took the test. I'm pregnant. His jaw dropped in disbelief. He laughed and pulled her to him. Bullet joins in on the excitement. He picks up the empty box from the tester and begins running around the room and then into the living room and through the kitchen. Not sure what they are celebrating, but the puppy in him is never too far beneath the surface. A short while later, Bullet is resting under the kitchen table, enjoying all of the upbeat conversation and loving the smell of bacon. Over the sounds of the TV playing in the living room, he can detect an unusual brightness in all the chatter, and every once in a while, a hand appears with a shared treat. (laughs) Ha ha, this is such a grand, great day. Pam and Troy, in joyful expectation, traded aspirations with Pam's dad and stepmom. Would it be a boy or a girl? Well, it didn't matter. Would he or she be an air traffic controller like Troy when they grew up? Or a player for the Mets? Or maybe work in the hospitality business like Pam? Again, they allowed themselves the dream of raising a family dusting away all the disappointments of the past. I just have the sense that God is going to bless this baby in ways we cannot imagine, said Pam hopefully. Her parents nodded. They themselves were getting excited about another grandchild. Troy, always madly in love with his wife, particularly loved seeing her exuding enthusiasm. He knew that this dream come true would be an enormous gift at this time of their lives. Luddy had gotten up from the table, walked into the living room. He shouted, "'Troy, you better call work. Come look at this.' The four of them stood transfixed at the TV, They were riveted in horror as the television images showed an aircraft flying into one of the World Trade Center buildings in New York. And not long after, they were stunned, along with the rest of the world, as a second plane crashed into the second tower. Now they knew it wasn't an accident. This was an act of war, and they watched the unimaginable. As both buildings, world landmarks, representing the towering strength of America, collapsed into rubble. Troy had a special telephone access to his work. As an air traffic controller, he called his boss to see if he was needed. Whoever answered the phone was in such crisis mode, they instantly hung up. Pam quietly became more anxious. Like a brightly colored birthday balloon, she felt punctured as the joy for the new life within her slowly drained from her psyche, converting into enormous anxiety. All of the excitement and optimism of bringing a baby into the world was now turning on the question, what kind of world am I bringing my baby into? Same time, same day, Brooklyn. Ann Givens was calling the Newsday office from her apartment. The TV was on in the background, with the video of the planes crashing into the World Trade Center being played over and over. Okay, she repeated into the phone with a sense of urgency. I'll get to the base of the Brooklyn Bridge gather interviews from victims walking off. She paused as the person she was speaking to asked a question, then she answered, The bridge is four miles from my apartment. Not long after, holding her notebook, Anne gazed at the stream of frightened and wary people coming off the bridge. Her heart went out to dozens of people covered in white ash, like a scene out of a horror movie, walking toward her almost zombie-like. Some were too shocked to even speak. Others talked loudly. They seemed to need to tell their stories in great detail. For hours, she interviewed people crossing over the Brooklyn Bridge, stopping every once in a while to call the paper with her notes. Often the cell service didn't work, and Anne had to stand in a long line at a payphone. When Anne arrived at Newsday the following morning, it was surreal. Instead of it being a boisterous war room, as one might expect, people were introspective and quiet. It was as though the events of the past 24 hours were so tragic and horrendous that no one wanted to dwell on them in idle chatter. Everyone went on with their jobs as efficiently and as quickly as they could. Sunday, September 16, 2001, Kissimmee, Florida. Five days after 9-11, Troy had connected with colleagues at work and confirmed that bridges and tunnels in and out of New York had been reopened. He and Pam packed up the minivan, put Bullet into his seat, and left at dawn on Sunday on their journey back up the I-95 from Florida to New York in order for Troy to be back at work on Tuesday. They were glad to be heading home. During the trip, Bullet can sense the undercurrent of anxiety. With Troy and Pam, with everyone, even people at the rest stops, he is most content sitting in the back seat, window down, inhaling the salty scent of the warm sea breezes and hearing the different sounds and birds, and then picking up the scents of autumn as they approached their travel north. He muses about their vacation, and the new joy in Pam's voice when she talks about the, what does she call it, the baby. As Troy and Pam drove, they witnessed an extraordinary sight flags were flying everywhere from buildings and homes and dangling from every crane at every construction site each flag seemed to be shouting a defiance against an enemy that would not defeat us but make us stronger and united americans they were quiet as they approached the skyline of new york A large column of smoke rose from the devastation in lower Manhattan. Once they passed over the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, heading toward Long Island, they knew they were only an hour or so from home in Bellport. The next day, Newsday offices, Melville, New York. Anne and many other reporters were given assignments that would become their daily tasks for months to come. In addition to their usual beats, they were asked to research and write one or two obituaries, personal stories about victims identified in the carnage, with a large portion of their day spent hearing the heartbreaking stories about loved ones who had died. Newsday developed a daily section called The Lost to memorialize those who had perished. It turned out to be a source of great comfort for thousands of readers. Early 2002, Bellport, New York. Pam had continued working at her job in the hospitality business, trying her best to separate the horrendous events of 9-11 from the wonderful news that she had received on the same day. Doctors calculated that the baby had been conceived during July of 2001 and that full-term birth would mean that the baby would be born late April 2002. She grew more and more excited as she felt the baby moving within her, holding on to the belief that as she had articulated that morning she discovered her pregnancy, she honestly believed this time things will be different. No more miscarriages. God's blessings will be realized. Still, she remained cautious, never taking unnecessary chances, getting her sleep, and always following her doctor's advice. In her third trimester, Pam's gynecologist advised that she was suffering from placenta previa, an abnormality that occurs in one of 200 births. Her doctor prescribed bed rest as the primary treatment and told her placenta previa nearly always requires cesarean delivery. Bullet senses something different going on. Pam's body has been changing in size, and sometimes she holds his head up next to her belly, letting him listen to the tiny sounds going on inside her. Every once in a while, he feels a little movement. They startled him at first and then made him curious. This much he knows. This thing Pam calls the baby is something he likes. April 10, 2002. Baby Troy was born about two weeks early at Stony Brook University Hospital, 30 minutes from their home. Because the baby's birth was considered complicated and due to Pam's cesarean birth, she and the baby were required to remain hospitalized for four more days. Pam was concerned about Bullet being home alone and mentioned it to a Stony Brook nurse. The nurse had an idea, returning with one of the hospital blankets that had swaddled baby Troy. Have your husband give this to your dog. It may give him comfort to smell the baby, but also prepare him for when the baby comes home, she advised. Now, on work days, Troy would show up at the hospital in late afternoon to visit Pam and the baby. Soon, he was bringing amusing and heartfelt stories of Bullet and the baby blanket. He drags that blanket everywhere, said Troy, laughing at the images in his mind. He sleeps with it. He runs around the house with it. He even takes it outdoors when he has to do his business. Pam laughed, too. I guess Bullet is comforted. Me, too. April, 2002, Brooklyn, New York. Offering Anne a modicum of escape from her daily obituary writing was the bright light at the end of the tunnel of summer, Labor Day, because that is when she and Rafer were going to be married in a park near Brooklyn Bridge. It wasn't to be a large wedding, But just talking about it and planning it provided relief from the dark cloud that hung over every newsroom in the country, but especially those in metropolitan New York. April 14, 2002, Stony Brook University Hospital. Pam was thrilled when they said that she and her baby could finally go home, even though the baby had breathing difficulties. "'I can't wait for you to meet Bullet,' she cooed to baby Troy, "'sitting in the back seat of the minivan next to the child carrier. "'Speaking to Troy as he drove, she asked, "'Do we have anything to eat in the house? I'm starved.' "'Troy said that he'd gotten a few things at the store "'and reported that the baby's bassinet was set up "'right next to Pam's side of the bed, just as she had asked. "'Whatever we do, let's just try to get some sleep early.' She suggested. Troy nodded. Woof, woof, woof! Bullet isn't much of a barker, but this was special. Not only is the love of his life Pam coming into the house, but so is Troy carrying something carefully wrapped in a blanket. Bullet has an idea show them his blanket. The moment they came through the door, he runs around excitedly, dragging the blanket smelling like sweet baby powder behind. And when Pam shows him the tiny infant wrapped in a baby blanket, which smells just like his, Bullet knows he has a new friend. Also, a new job to watch out for this little creature. For Pam, it was such a relief to be home, sleeping in her own bed. She smiled and said a little prayer as the last image before closing her eyes. She prayed for her two babies, baby Troy an arm's length away, and Bullet, her baby Secret Service agent, taking up his new station underneath the bassinet. Over the next two weeks, Bullet sees more activity in the household than he can ever remember. There were not only new smells, but a lot of new noises. And he didn't like one bit to hear the baby crying. Troy Sr. had taken off three weeks when the baby had been born on April 10th and wasn't due back to work until May 1st. And there seemed to be more visitors that wanted to come see the baby than ever before. So for each one, Bullet had to show off his blanket, and you never had to ask where the dog was, because wherever baby Troy was, so was Bullet. He watches Pam feed the little tyke with a bottle. Unfortunately, nothing falls on the floor, so there are no scraps. But Pam takes care of that, she always makes sure that he gets a little treat. That's one of the things he loves about her. She's always so thoughtful. May 1st, 4.30 a.m. Buzz Troy clicked off his alarm clock at 4.30, rolled out of bed and headed for the shower. He was finally going back to work. Pam, awakened by the alarm, slid out of bed and took a peek at the baby. In the dim light, he looked just fine. She reached out and patted Bullet down below. As long as she was up, she decided she might as well warm a bottle and feed the baby a little early. Sliding into her slippers, she scuffed down the hall to the kitchen. Woof, woof, woof! Bullet's barking rarely heard and never at this time of day alarmed her. Bullet, what's the matter? said Pam, coming into the hallway. Bullet was more animated than he'd ever been in years, literally jumping up and down on the parquet floor, rushing back and forth, continuing to bark. Woof, woof, woof. Following Bullet, Pam rushed into the bedroom to the bassinet. The baby was motionless. But is he sleeping? She reached down, scooped him up, Walking rapidly toward the light near the bathroom, she was horrified by what she saw. The baby looked like he was crying, but no sound was coming out. She watched. Her baby turned from red-faced to purplish-blue. "'Troy! Troy!' she screamed, holding the baby against her shoulder, patting his back, entering the bathroom where Troy was wrapped in a towel." "'Recognizing the emergency, Troy briskly lifted the baby from Pam, "'shouting, "'Call 911!' "'He quickly carried the baby to the bed, lay him on his side, "'patting his back, hoping to dislodge anything "'that was clogging his breathing tube. "'Troy's mind raced to a movie that he'd seen in high school about CPR. "'What did it say to do?' "'He held the baby by his ankles, again, gently patting his back.' A woman's voice was now on the speakerphone, filling the room. Bullets started barking. Pam, in a panicked voice, said, This is an emergency. My newborn baby is not breathing. Please come quickly. The operator asked for her address and calmly instructed Pam to unlock the door so the EMT team could get in, which she did as she carried the phone. Apparently, the computer screen at the dispatcher's end provided her with added information. She said in a surprised tone, One EMT is on his way right now. He lives in your neighborhood. Woof, woof, woof. Bullet was hearing someone approaching. It was the EMT, bounding through the open door. He took the baby from Troy, all the while asking questions to establish what had happened. This is unusual, said the 9-11 operator, still on the phone with Pam. Another EMT, also from your neighborhood, is coming from ten houses away. With a surprised tone again, she said, He'll also be there ahead of the ambulance, which is only a few more minutes away. Woof, woof, woof! Bullet was at the door again as the second EMT rushed in. Moments later, Bullet announced the arrival of the ambulance team, followed by the local police, followed by the firemen. Once the emergency medical technicians had the baby stabilized and breathing again, they advised Pam and Troy which hospital they were proceeding to. Brookhaven Medical Center, only seven minutes away, versus going a half hour to Stony Brook University Hospital where the baby was born. One parent could ride in the ambulance. They suggested it be Troy, who was already dressed, "'asking if Pam could meet them there on her own in her own car. "'Yes, yes, go, go, I'll follow you,' said Pam frantically. "'As he quickly packed his gear, the EMT said to Troy, "'Another few seconds, and I'm afraid we would have lost your baby. "'Your dog is a hero.' "'Pam looked at him with wide eyes. "'Thank God for Bullet, but also I have to get to the hospital.' 5.30 a.m. As Pam quickly threw on some slacks and a blouse, grabbing her car keys and a light jacket, she thought, "'God, what if Bullet had not insisted "'that I go look at the baby at that very moment?' "'She kneeled down to hug her rescuer. "'I love you, Bullet, my hero.' "'Looking up, she said, "'God, we're still not out of the woods. "'Please help the doctors find out "'why my baby stopped breathing.' Hastily, she said, "'Bullet, you be a good boy.' "'Will,' and then her voice cracked, "'I hope we'll be back soon.' She cried again as she ran out the door, about to get into her minivan. She saw a predicament. Troy's Dodge Daytona five-speed was blocking her in. There was no way around it, not even driving across the lawn. She turned, dashed back into the house and grabbed the other keys from the rack, and without pausing, ran to Troy's vehicle, suddenly remembering, Oh, no! I can't drive this thing! It's stick shift! I don't know how! For a moment she stood in the driveway crying, stunned, and dumbfounded. But her mission was critical. She had no choice. She climbed into the Dodge, sniffing back the tears, and breathing heavily, she started the car and started to move the shift, pleading with herself to remember, how did you tell me to do it, Troy? How did you tell me? God, I need your help right now. I don't know how to drive this thing, and my baby needs me, she yelled. She tried again, remembering something about a clutch. She pushed it down with her foot and pulled the gear shift. It it was grinding, and the vehicle jumped and jerked. But she backed into the street, narrowly missing a parked car, Braked to a sudden stop, then repeated, clutching, shifting, this time forward, jerking ahead. Pam was a desperate mother trying to get to her baby, frightened and crying all the way to Brookhaven Hospital. And if you had asked her, "'Where she had parked the Dodge, she could never have told you. "'She just stopped it, jumped out, "'and ran as fast as she could into the emergency room, "'shouting, "'I am here to see my baby.'" Pam embraced Troy, who was in the waiting room. He looked tense, telling Pam he hadn't heard anything yet. Just then a nurse emerged and said the baby was stabilized and breathing evenly. She said Pam could come in with her to see the baby. Pam remained worried. She saw a young nurse tending to baby Troy. The nurse seemed tentative and inexperienced. She watched the nurse as she was starting to remove the EKG lines from the baby attached by adhesives. Pam instinctively opened her mouth to shout, No! Just as the young lady began to rip the sticky pads from the baby. Too late, the ripping sound was followed by the baby's face again contorting into a fierce cry that produced no sounds. Again, the child's face turned from red to purplish blue. Pam didn't know what to do. Can anybody do something, she shouted. A more experienced nurse, who was supposed to have left work already, was walking past the door to the room when she heard the commotion. She looked in and knew exactly what to do. She lifted the baby lengthwise, raising it so the child's face was even with her face, then blowing like she was playing a flute. She oxygenated the baby by blowing across its nose and mouth. The baby took a breath. A doctor who was also supposed to be off duty but was still there rushed into the room and began making arrangements for the child and Pam to be transported to Stony Brook University Hospital, which had far more sophisticated neonatal clinic capabilities. They could deal with this emergency. Again, Pam's heart was racing again. She was witnessing the rescuing of her baby, and again she thanked God for the blessings and the Godwinks. Returning to Stony Brook University Hospital, where Pam birthed baby Troy, was a comfort for Pam and Troy. She was more confident that Stony Brook had the resources to determine what was wrong. And over the course of the next two weeks, baby Troy was diagnosed with silent reflux, a backing up of stomach contents into the baby's underdeveloped esophagus, which was complicated by the discovery of curvature of the spine. May fifteenth, two 2002, Stony Brook University Hospital, As Troy handled the paperwork to be released from the hospital, Pam recounted their blessings with Troy's mom, Irene, who had come by to help them. The baby was now safe, thanks to a small army of heroes. Bullet was the biggest hero of all, she said excitedly, rattling off all the godwinks that had flowed directly from his actions at the start of the crisis. What were the odds that two EMTs lived in the neighborhood and arrived ahead of the ambulance? And what about the nurse at Brookhaven Hospital who was just walking past the doorway at the exact moment she was needed and who knew how to do CPR on an infant? She was supposed to be off-duty, same as the doctor, then there were all of the other first responders and medical personnel who quietly saved lives every day, but were divinely aligned to be at the right place at the right moment to help save tiny Troy. Troy, now rejoining Pam and his mom, hears Pam say, Honey, when Bullet got my attention that morning... It was a miracle, wasn't it? Troy nodded, turning to his mom to share evidence of Bullet's heroism. The EMT said a few seconds more, and we would have lost our baby. People need to know about this, said Irene. We cannot keep God's blessings to ourselves. We have to share it. Troy wasn't sure where she was going with that comment. But Irene already had an idea. When she left the hospital, she called a friend, someone who worked for Newsday. May 15, 2002, Newsday. Anne noticed an unusual lightheartedness, more animated voices, as several reporters gathered around the editor's desk. Alex Martin, the gruff but dedicated and demanding editor of Newsday, was holding court, telling about the call he had just received from a woman who said that an old dog had saved a newborn baby. After eight months of the reporters slogging their way through daily stories of horror and horrific, heroic fireman stories and police stories, unthinkable circumstances, here was a simple Norman Rockwell story about a dog that had saved the life of a baby in crisis. But it wasn't just any dog. It was a dog that himself had been saved earlier when the parents of the baby, against all reasonable counsel, had scraped up the money to perform a $5,000 operation on their 13th year old dog. This was a story about life and living, and it was lifting the hearts of all those reporters who were gathered there to hear it. Givens, you got this assignment. Anne's heart jumped. What? The editor says that I'm the one who gets a day pass from news agony in order to bring the public something that will make them smile and warm their hearts? This could be a hoax. Check it out. After you talk to the parents, talk to the AMTs, the police, the firemen who showed up, validate everything. Anne nodded at Alex, hoping she wasn't inappropriately smiling or looking giddy. And get me the audio of the dog barking. Anne looked at her editor questioningly. Audio? Yes, audio. Then anticipating the unstated question why, he answered. Because we're a newspaper in a brand new world which in itself was not all that helpful to Anne. An hour later, Anne was pulling into the driveway of Pam and Troy Sicker's home in Bellport. She knocked on the door, and Pam answered. As Pam and Troy relived the story, showing Anne where the baby's bassinet sits, next to the bed where Bullet was on watch, underneath, Anne took copious notes. At the end of the interview, Anne said, Um... Do you think we could get Bullet to bark so I could record it? Pam and Troy looked at her blankly. I, I don't know why exactly. My editor just wanted me to record the dog barking. Bullet answers the call to come into the room, momentarily leaving his guard duty under the bassinet, but has no idea what they're talking about, saying, Bark, Bullet, bark. Instead... He remains quiet. Troy then suggested to Anne, how about going outside, ring the doorbell, pretend to be the mailman. The only time Bullet barks is when the mailman comes. (laughs) Well, it worked. (laughs) And moments later, Anne was driving back to Newsday. She calculated that she had about two hours before a deadline to turn in the story to Alex. And she had a good number of calls to make to verify it. Then she took a moment to feast on the good feelings running through her. She was tickled pink. Later, Alex liked her story and said he thought she had done a good job. But the real accolades came the next day. A rarity since the tragedy of 9-11... Newsday had a joyful story on the front page, a photo of Bullet nuzzled next to the baby with the headline, His Best Friend. The headline above the story inside read, A Life-Saving Bullet, Family Dog Alerts Mom to Baby in Distress Just in Time. Anne was gratified that she had finally written a feel-good story that seemed to bring hope to so many readers. It was a day or two later before Anne found out what her editor had in mind by having bullet bark. You see... Internet usage was still new, and Newsday was working on adding authenticity to their online stories with pieces of audio and video when they had it. And just as Alex, the editor, had thought, many readers, after reading the story, wanted to hear a word or two right from the mouth of the hero himself, bullets barking. (laughs) Belport, New York. After Pam shows him the picture on the cover of the newspaper, Bullet notices that people seem to be making a big fuss over him. Go figure. Pam and Troy have never stopped thanking God for the decision that they made that day with Dr. Cancro at Bellport Animal Hospital. The $5,000 loan to keep Bullet alive was the best investment of their lives, not to mention for Troy Jr.'s life. The dog they saved saved their son.